we started getting emails and phone calls and letters back saying, I just came out of a 48 hour shift. Thank you so much for your offer. It made my day. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm sending you a cookie. Why are you thanking me? And it really made us understand the power that our brand has. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life? Or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. My book, Relentless, is now available everywhere books can be bought online, including Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. Try your local indie bookstore too, and if they don't have it, they can order it. Just ask them. The reviews are streaming in, and I'm so thankful for the positive feedback, as well as hearing from people that my memoir has impacted them positively. It is not enough to be resilient. You have to be relentless. You can go to therelentlessbook.com for more information. Thank you so much. Anouk Gottlieb, CEO of Belgian Boys, is on a mission to turn up the happy one sweet moment at a time. Launched in 2015, Belgian Boys is in the business of fun, offering a delicious assortment of breakfast, sweet treats, and desserts available in 5,000 stores and online. I found my crepes at our local Safeway. We talk about how they're scaling, how they're funded, and what their current challenges are today. Now let's get right into it. I think you always have the goal to just grow, right? In 2015, did I know how we were going to do it or what we were doing? Absolutely not. I think you just want to be everywhere, sell everywhere. And then you figure out all these things like how to sell, how to stay on the shelves. So I think it's always an aspiration, but then when it actually starts happening and you see that it is becoming a reality, that's when it's like, oh my God, like, okay, what else do we do now, right? So, but did I know? I think I hoped. So did you meet your benchmarks or your goals or did you way surpass them? We weren't an overnight success. We've been doing this for now seven years and we've really been super strategic about where we grow and how we grow, right? And right now I want to say we live in New York. We live in Brooklyn, actually, but I can see from my window, like the tall skyscrapers in New York. And I always say we've built the foundation for our business for the last seven years. We built it really, really deep. And 2021 was the first year that we're like, okay, now we're building that first floor. We've built that first floor and now it's going to go way faster. But I think building that strong foundation, it takes time. It really takes time to understand who your consumer is, what works, what doesn't work from that initial starting point in the messaging you thought was happening and where the consumer is really reacting to it. So I think we learned a lot over the last few years and definitely getting where we are. The success we're having now in refrigerated breakfast that is definitely surpassing any expectation I had. And it's super exciting to see that really develop in front of our eyes. You were just talking, I saw your product in the freezer or the refrigerator. I'm not sure how I would describe it. And I got the crepes and I can't wait to smush some Nutella over them and cut up some bananas and just 
have at it. You don't have to go to France. So did anything in your previous career and life prepare you for this journey into the food business or the packaged food business or scaling and growing at this rate? I think nothing can prepare you, right? For like becoming the entrepreneur and dealing with everything that comes with you. Like there's like, you know, so many barriers that come to you and you just gotta like hoop above, go below, like just make it work. But I just think that my background has brought a different perspective to how I do what I do every single day. My background is fashion design. So I used to design dresses. I used to sew, to sketch. I think that creative background is bringing another perspective to how I approach challenges and opportunities and how we just build that roadmap towards where we want to go. If you think about it in the fashion world, like you start with a blank page, right? A white page and a pencil and you start drawing and all of a sudden you have a garment that you can actually wear and i think that white sketchbook that is in the beginning scary kind of brings a different way to look at things i do think that my creative background is just making us look at situations differently and creative people tend to a lot of creative people tend to not have the business side of the mind or the analytical skills. And where does that come from for you? I think I was kind of interested in it. I saw it at home as well. My father was an entrepreneur. We had a family business. My family was in garments. So I saw it at home. My dad was always on the phone, always business scripts. So I think in that sense, it always kind of gave me the curiosity. But he was asking us, he was very much involving us in the sales that he was doing. We were in our teens, we were going to the warehouse, helping out. And that business side was something that was always kind of there. And I saw at home. So maybe that's something that just stuck, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it probably, yes, definitely wore you down, if nothing else. So I'm imagining you starting this business, figuring out how to make a crepe. Okay, it's kind of hard. If you're like me to get the ingredients out and then like not burn them or <laughs> make sure that they're thin, like I don't even try. And then it's another thing to figure out how to package it so that it can stay, that it has a shelf life. Then of course, the next step is the packaging and I may get this wrong, but then how do you go from figuring that stuff out into being in 5,000 stores? Yes. And I actually, I can't take the credit for that. My husband who started the business, he's absolutely the entrepreneur at heart, visionary, and he's the one who focuses on product and supplier relationships and the quality of a product. That's like the baker in him. Like that's totally uh, Greg's part of the business, what he manages. I think a lot of times you will hear of a founding story of, I had tried this in my kitchen and then we went on to a commercial kitchen and then we went to a co-man. This is actually something that we at Belgium Boys never had. All credit to Greg here, but he went as a young, very ambitious person when he started the business to these co-manufacturers in Europe, our current partners, and said, hey, we want to bring Belgian waffles and crepes to America let's do it. And he was very persuasive. I think he has built amazing relationships and we're super grateful for our partners that most of them really have become friends over the last few years. And I think 
starting the business at a place where you really have that whole site automized, that was a really smart move to just go with the experts, but then really working with them on how do we bring this to the American market? What is this American consumer is looking for? For instance, we have our like Belgian waffle. If you think about it, Belgian waffles in Belgium, it's a commodity. Like there are so many Belgian waffles. They sell in this like plastic floor wrap that in my opinion is very unattractive. So we came to our manufacturers and we're like, we want to put it in a box. And they're like, a box? (laughs) What do you mean? That was super foreign. So making those European foods mainstream for the American consumer is really what Belgian boys has mastered. Yes, it sounds similar to, I was just listening to Brian Smith, who is the founder of Ugg Boots. And he basically brought in Australia's famous sheepskin boots and introduced them to America. So he didn't start from scratch necessarily. You didn't start from scratch, meaning Greg is like putting flour and water. How are you funding Belgian boys right now? Or how has it been funded? How has it? Yes, two different (laughs) questions. So we have funded the business very bootstrapped. We've been bootstrapped for the past seven years. I mean, Chase, Visa, Amex, line of credit, debt, loan, name it, we've done it. We've been super capital efficient in the last seven years. We've been, you know, cash is just not something we had and we really had to squeeze and maximize it. I think it had us become very capital efficient very scrappy as well. We used to, we still do, we buy our business cards with coupon codes. Like that's something that's in us. And we really wanted to, before we brought in a partner to help us really scale the business, we wanted to A, understand what we're doing here. What is it that we're building? And I don't want to say that in year one of the business, we knew the answer to that question. We didn't even know in year three. I mean, We have grown so much in the last few years, especially during COVID, that that has changed. And second of all, we wanted to make sure that once we are ready to bring in a partner, that we find a partner that is aligned, that has the same vision than we have for our business. And that alignment is really the core of what we're building for. And so we actually just announced our first outside capital in March. So we have amazing angel investors in our round, as well as Equilibra Venture, which is the family office of Daniel Lubetsky. He's the founder of KindBar. He's my role model. So I'm still like, pinch me, did this really happen? But he's an amazing person. And he has a team around him that is just so good and so so helpful and that really can operate. They've been doing it. They've built Kindbar and it's really, really very grateful to be working with such amazing people to take the next step in scaling our company. Yeah, it's got to be a huge learning curve to work with such an established and successful company. Also, it has to just fill you up to see that you've created this wonderful company and now it's a hot air balloon and other people are taking it off. And who knows? I mean, they probably really know because they're investing their money where it's going to go, but you'll get to participate and see how that happens. So another question I have for you is you have 23,800 followers on Instagram. This is a multi-part question. How did you acquire them and how important is social media in your marketing strategy? 
Definitely. I think our head of marketing would way better answer this question than me. But I do remember opening the Instagram account, right? And how I see that Instagram community, I think it doesn't really matter how many followers you have, as long as there are loyal followers, because you could have a million followers, but if the engagement is not there and they're not true loyalist of the brands, then what are you doing? I think what's important in building a community of loyalists online, whether that is Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook groups, or Twitter, or even TikTok, I think the important thing is to have that relationship with your customer that you can just ask a question and they can have feel a relationship that they can tell you what is bothering you or bothering them about your brand or what they find phenomenal about your brand. Yeah, people will tell you, right? And I'm wondering, you started this, I'm going to just assume in 2015, I did not go through your whole feed, but for entrepreneurs that start something and then it just really takes off, do you get rid of all your first hundred posts and then restart again with really heavily branded images? I have no idea if we did that, actually. I think it's still on there. Yeah, I didn't scroll all the way down, but it's so beautifully curated right now that I can only imagine you didn't have everything lined up and set up back in the day. Oh, no. Did you keep it there as a time capsule or did you wipe it clean and say, okay, here is our new brand? I believe it's still there unless the team wiped it out, but I believe it's still there. I mean, we did start somewhere and we have evolved as a brand and we learned from it and I'm going to scroll down to check. I am too. After this call, I'm going to find out. I just didn't do it, but it's fun to talk about it and neither one of us know. Yeah. So talk to me about your mission. Turn up the happy. Yes. I mean, this is our purpose. This is where our team see fulfillment. When I think about Belgian boys, I don't think about really the consumer just eating the product. It's about that moment of happiness that we sparked in that household. If you think about, like we always talk about, refer about our customer, that is that mom that in the morning wants to give her family pancakes, but doesn't have the time to whip them up and doesn't want to give bad ingredients like Ego or another waffle company, like that convenience that we offer, our crepes, our pancakes that are just quick and easy you just put them in the microwave and then you can sit at the table enjoy that moment that moment of happiness that you created with your family now but without the hassle it's in actually during covid our mission was really elevated we started sending when i mean we're based in new york we had it pretty bad in march april when it started in 2020 and we just took Sharpie, started writing thank you healthcare workers on boxes and shipping them to like NYU hospitals and all of the hospitals here in New York. And we started getting emails and phone calls and letters back saying, I just came out of a 48-hour shift. Thank you so much for your offer. It made my day. And I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) I'm sending you a cookie. Why are you thanking me? And it really made us understand the power that our brand has. Life is hard with everything that's going on. I mean, if you just think about what's going on in the world, just thinking about it, giving you anxiety, right? Like food and the experience around it, especially breakfast foods or cookies. Like when you have a bad day, that cookie just has to make you smile. I mean, there's nothing bad about waffles and crepes and not having to prepare them and definitely not having to clean up after that. Exactly. So today 
what is your number one current biggest challenge in the company that you're having to deal with? Because we see all the success. We saw the beautiful packaging, the tasting of the wonderful stuff, but there's got to be a challenge because we're all humans and this is life. So what is it in your business right now that is giving you some pain and anguish? Well, we are in the CPG industry. I think everybody in the CPG industry can like raise their hand that supply chain has been a nightmare. It is a nightmare. It is just like you fix one thing, another thing breaks, you fix that other thing, like the first thing breaks again. It's just, it's a nightmare. It's eating up the margins. It's Mm -hmm. very challenging, the whole supply chain. I think how we are approaching it is about being resilient, right? I think in the beginning, you're like, no, I need to make it work because it used to work this way. And now we're just like, okay, it's late. What can we do? It is annoying because when we have empty shelves, it hurts our business, it hurts our consumer, it hurts our relationship with our partners. So we are trying to navigate that. But right now, it is not a great time for supply chain. So the pandemic gave a lot of us business owners a silver lining of re-examining our business, cutting costs, and figuring out how to make it more efficient. I'm wondering if the supply chain issue all over the world is also a blessing in disguise that you don't know now, but (laughs) later Uh it will have made you find other ways, maybe more efficient ways, maybe closer ways of doing things. What do you think about that? I certainly hope that (laughs) years from now I can say, oh my God, Mm. thank God that happened right now. I'm not there yet. (laughs) I'm just like, when are these containers prices going down again? I know they're what, 6,000% more. What is the reality of the... It's very painful. It is. It has increased. They're all sitting out in the ocean trying to get to dock and there's not enough workers to unload and to... Yes. And then not only that, I think right now we've been added with raw materials that are scarce and our prices that are have increased. So you're forced to pass prices to your consumer, which I know for me, I just released a book and the surprising thing, because I not a book publisher every single day before this cardboard, cardboard. is back ordered. So hardback books take much longer because they can't source the cardboard. They can't get it in stock. It takes longer and it's more expensive. And I'm like, Oh, Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I can't imagine. I mean, you have to ship. Your boxes are more than just a piece of paper. They're not as thick as a cardboard box for a book. But, and then, okay, on the other side, (laughs) what are you focusing on for growth for your company this year? Is there one main thing that you guys are all rowing the same way toward? Yes, definitely our refrigerated breakfast. So when we started the company, we came out with crepes, pancakes, waffles. And then buyers told us, oh, you have a frozen breakfast item. And we're like, well, in Europe, it's merchandised refrigerated. They're like, well, in America, it's merchandised frozen. That's where you need to be. Thank you. And so we sold frozen breakfast. Now, if you think about it, where do you buy breakfast foods in the grocery store? You buy eggs, you buy milk, you buy yogurt. It's all cream cheese. It's all in the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. So why do you make people go all across the store to buy breakfast food they can spread it on? 
And that really bothers us. In Europe, this is very common. So over the last four years, we really scaled that up on a small scale. So we went to Costco, one rotation, did extremely well. Then we went to Walmart. In the span of four years, we grew from 65 stores to 800 stores, plus Target as well. And in refrigeration. In refrigeration. And what is the shelf life difference between refrigerated and frozen? So frozen, the product has 12 months. Refrigerated, the product has 30 days. Okay, that's quite yes. a difference. Yes. But we are seeing major, major, I mean, knock on wood, but the consumer is reacting really well to finding us there because we're extremely incremental. If you think about it, you go and shop for your eggs and you're like, oh, another breakfast food. That's really cool. You're not thinking I'm now not going to buy the eggs and only going to buy the crepes or pancakes. And recently we just launched our French toast, which is French toast you just need to toast. So you Take it out, put it in the toaster, the one that goes up and down. It's made out of brioche. Oh, oh. my God. It is one of the best things on Do earth. Do I have that in my store? I'll have Not to yet. Know. Not okay. yet. So we, <clears throat> we relaunched it at Target in February and we're going to launch it nationwide. Uh, well, I have a Target. I just need to go there then. This summer, yes. So okay. we're there this summer and I'm super excited to roll it out nationwide. That's great. So for me, I am not European and I would not eat a crepe for breakfast, but I would definitely treat myself to a crepe in the mid-afternoon or after dinner for a dessert. Mm -hmm. So do you think along the lines of meeting at least your American consumer in a different place in addition to breakfast? I mean, our product is very, I want to say, it's really, we have, we actually, we talked about this this week because we had to write the flavor and we're like, it's not sweet. It's not, and then neutral and plain have kind of a bad, <laughs> like negative connotation right. to it, but it's really a neutral taste so that you can top it with whatever you want. Right. You could top it with cream cheese and locks and a poached egg if you want it, or you can just dip them in Nutella. So it's very much like, I mean, crepe Nutella, <laughs> how I say it's morning or yeah, afternoon, 4 p.m. as like a sweet snack when your kids come home from work, from school or something, you could do that too. So, or in the evening, it's, I mean, <laughs> breakfast all day, right? It is a thing. And I think we can celebrate that for sure. For more information, go to the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. Want to know more about me? Go to my website, officialnatashamiller.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.